Oh. Alrighty. <laughs> What's up, guys? Um, it's been a long time. It's been at least two months, it feels like, since I've gotten to really get up here and do this. And I am <laughs> applauding that I was gone. <laughs> I um, really missed you guys. I really did. Um, there was... Uh, different churches that I was visiting, different places that I was, and uh, it was a really encouraging thing to be um, gone for a little bit and constantly the whole time wishing you were back at Wayfarers on Sunday nights because it just there's something different to me, at least personally, I'll say, about being together with you guys. And so I'm really happy and thankful to be back with you today. Um, <laughs> uh, today I want to talk a little bit about um, specifically something that came to mind just last Sunday when we were um, over in the, the cafe doing our uh, family feast night and afterwards. Um, I don't even remember how the topic got started. I think we were just talking about Pixar movies versus Disney movies. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, we were talking about how Pixar movies are computer animated, so they, they have like this 3D look to them versus like the older Disney movies that we remember uh, where they're more like 2D animation. And uh, we were talking a little bit about that, and Jordan uh, decided to give us kind of his, the, the story about how, uh, how, how we got into that because he listens to a podcast. Um, what's it called specifically? Is it like Disney history or what's the disorder every Disney movie? movie? Yeah. So it's kind of like the background history. They go, they do like a deep dive on all the Disney movies. So Jordan had all the knowledge and I learned a lot of really interesting things as he was talking about it. But there was this one moment at the very end where <laughs> we all talked about, we weren't, we weren't expecting to get the kind of full story, the ba background history on everything that had happened. And at one point Jordan was like, sorry, I'm kind of a Disney nerd. Uh, and I could tell that you felt bad about it, but I don't think you actually have to. I think that's really, really cool. I think it's, uh, this is something I'm starting to really, really learn that to be a nerd about something, to be like really, really into something is something that gets looked down upon and pushed down by other people. But I actually think that in a lot of ways, God gives each of us specific things, specific interests, specific things that, that only you are going to be obsessed with, that not the other people around you are going to be obsessed with. And it's actually really, really cool. Like I'm, I'm getting to this place where I love seeing people nerd out about things that they're interested in. Even if I'm not particularly interested in that, I'm not probably going to listen to a Disney podcast, but it was really, really cool to see the enthusiasm um, that Jordan had about that. And I love seeing that with anybody, any topic that they're talking about, whatever it is that they're nerding out on. I've been just really um, into seeing people get excited about something like that. And I was reminded of a, a poster that my brother Jeremy has in his um, classroom. He's a school teacher and he's got this poster up in the classroom. I think we've got a picture of it. If we can pull it up real quick. It just says Nick Griffin right now. Uh, he has a poster of Nick Griffin. <laughs> okay. So this is a quote from the uh, uh, fiction author John Green. And he says, nerds like us uh, are allowed to be unironically enthusiastic about stuff. 
Nerds are allowed to love stuff, like jump up and down in your chair, can't control yourself, love it. When people call people nerds, mostly what they're saying is, you like stuff, which is not a good insult at all. Like, you are too enthusiastic about the miracle of human consciousness. And... Uh, he was the first person that ever brought that up to me, that to be a nerd about something means that you're just like obsessed with this. And um, I'm noticing, I really feel like our culture is shifting even more and more and more away from like, like you can't just like things anymore. You have to like ironically like it. Like it has to be like a hipster kind of like not super serious. Like you just kind of ironically like it. And to just wholeheartedly, unashamedly, directly love something is like, it's like not cool. It's not something that people want to, people want to put you down for loving something wholeheartedly like that. And I really do believe that this is something that, He's detrimental to us. I really think that as human beings, like I said, God gave us specific interests, specific things that only you nerd out about that other people don't nerd out about. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. I think that's really cool. <laughs> now, as I've started to notice that, I've started kind of trying to read the Bible a little bit, really paying attention to the authors of the different books. I used to just read verses and just kind of pull them out and not really think about the authors who were writing these books, you know, the name at the top of the book. And I've been filtering it through this lens of like, what are these people nerds about? Like, what is the thing that they just keep bringing up over and over and over again? Um, Noah recently pointed out for me how... Um, the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke, constantly mentions money, just all the way throughout. He is obsessed with the idea of money, with the poor, with helping the poor. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, if you look at the book of Acts, if you put them side by side, I encourage you to go through and look at it, and you're going to see over and over and over and over and over again. I kind of get the feeling that the thing Luke was just constantly talking about was just issues related to money. People were always just like, Luke, we get it, man. You want to talk about money, that's, you always find a way to bring it back around to that. And that's what he did. Luke and Acts, you see that over and over and over again in all those books, the ways that he brings uh, kind of money to the forefront. And each author kind of has different things that they focus on, different things that uh, God, I think, specifically gave them, things that were specific to them that some of the author, other authors did not necessarily pick up on. And the one that I want to focus on today is John, specifically. you got the Gospel of John, you've got uh, the Epistles, uh, specifically, though, First John, and you have uh, Revelation, also written by John, something that uh, Greg and Zach and I have been going through, reading through it and noticing different things. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed that John is obsessed with <laughs> is the idea of light and darkness. Light specifically is something that comes up over and over and over again. There's all these quotes from Jesus in the Gospel of John and in the Epistle of John that come up over and over and over again that have to do with light specifically. And again, I feel like if people would have been around John, literally anytime anybody brought up anything that had to do with light and darkness, I could just see him just like jumping in the conversation. Like, you guys talking about light? Let me tell you what Jesus said about light because a lot of these uh, sayings of Jesus aren't recorded by the other Gospel writers, but John picked up on these. John noticed these. And I think, again, because there was something specific that he was interested in, that he noticed, that he remembered, that maybe some of the other authors didn't pick up on. So I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses for you, but just notice over and over and over and over again how much John brings it up. So first, John 1, verses 4 through 5. 
in him was life and the life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it verses 9 and 10 of that chapter the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him later on chapter 3 this is the verdict light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that that it may be seen plainly what that what they have done has been done in the sight of god John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 11, 9 through 10, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. John 12, 35, 36. Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Now moving to the epistles, 1 John this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Verse 7 of that chapter. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. And going all the way to the Revelation. And this is something that just really, really hit me. This is something that always felt weird to me when I was reading Revelation until I understood that it's John that's writing this. So, of course, John is like, Keying in on this. This is something that's important to him because this is a topic he nerds out about. And this is at the end of Revelation. It says that there's this city that does not need sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And then 22.5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So, over and over and over again, <laughs> John was a light nerd, I guess. I don't know. Like, that's just the thing, this topic that was very, very important to him. Um, that very last song we sang is a song that was by the David Crowder band. And I've listened to a lot of interviews with David Crowder where he is also just as obsessed with this idea of light in that album and several of his albums, he brings up the idea of light over and over and over again. It ends that big chorus with let it shine, light. And he specifically said it came from looking at John. Um, he even at one point mentioned this really interesting thing. I'll just throw it off as a little side point for you guys to think about. Um, but he was talking about in like the the crazy, like nerdy scientific world of quantum physics, you know, this place where nothing makes sense and where everything is crazy. It's uh, in this deep theoretical world scientific of quantum physics, there's this one theory that's starting to gain some acceptance where they've been trying to figure out how is matter created? Because that's obviously something scientists have been figuring, trying to figure out for forever. How does matter come about? And at least theoretically, through the mathematics and looking at some of it, there is actually this theory that if you get an intense enough concentration of light, that would create matter. Again, 
I don't completely understand how it makes sense. It is this weird uh, theoretical physics, quantum physics world. But even in the world of science, they are seeing this connection between an intense concentration of light and the creation of matter. And David Crowder said whenever he heard that, he was like, yeah, that totally, that tracks. <laughs> that makes sense. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. What more greater concentration could you have of light than the source of light in God himself and the creator God himself? So it's this idea that he was obsessed with. And um, theologically, sometimes that can sound like a cool thing. Yeah, yeah that's kind of fun. I can read all these verses for you. What, what's the big deal? Why, why, why should we be concerned with the fact that John was so obsessed with this particular topic of light versus darkness? Well, as I've tried to sort of take this theoretical, theological concept and bring it into a more practical experience, I have started to see the connection between so many of the words Jesus says there about light, the connections between truth the connections between light and truth, some of the connections between darkness and lying, and the sort of practical outworkings of what does it really mean to live in the light, to be fully exposed, for people to be able to clearly see everything that is going on, for nothing to be hidden, for nothing to be in the dark, for there to be no lies, for it to be fully truth. The practical outworkings of that are really, really difficult. In, in one of those verses, Jesus said that he wants the people who follow him to live in the light, to no longer live in the darkness. And this has been the thing that, unfortunately, I have started to, to notice I don't think is the case. I, unfortunately, as I've tried to think through the practical outworkings of this idea, I've started to notice how much of uh, our churches and our sort of Christian circles are not ones that are... Uh, out in the open, out in the light, and how much, unfortunately, I think that darkness is the norm more than it should be. And it kind of makes sense, if you think about it, that we live the way we do, because to, to expose things, to bring them out to the light, to bring the truth out, uh, makes things really, really difficult. We lose a lot of things when you turn the lights on. When the light is shined on something, there there's some things that we lose that really make life difficult for us. I've got three of them specifically. These are the three points I want us to focus on today. First off, we lose control. Um, whenever you turn the lights on, fully expose everything, let everybody see everything that's going on, we lose control. Personally in our lives, I think we see this a lot um, just because if there are aspects about you, maybe uh, deeper, darker aspects about you, aspects about your story, things that um, you know are in your past or things that are struggles for you, uh, we will hold those things back lots of times. And sometimes we do it for what seems like wise reasons, which is I'm not trying to give somebody something that they can use against me. This is unfortunately, I think, the case in a lot of churches. We don't want to share things with other people. We all know that person who is just a gossip, who as soon as you say something to them, they're going to share it with everybody else in the church. Everyone else in the church is going to get to know about it. And suddenly, uh, you kind of, it, that truth about you gets outside of your control. It gets sent to everybody in the church, and now suddenly everybody can use it for whatever reason. Um, I had this experience a little bit just thinking through um, 
some of my own issues with uh, anxiety as I've talked to you guys about some of those issues that I've had with my anxiousness and fear and different ideas like that. Um, unfortunately, at different points in time, by acknowledging that, bringing that out to the light, letting people know about that, uh, it's kind of given them this data point that they can use to discredit me <laughs> sometimes, you know? Uh, I, I remember some of the beginnings of Wayfarers when we would cancel a few services because of um, sickness, you know, maybe so few, several people were sick, several people had fevers, different things like that, kind of in the middle of COVID. And I would always just have this fear that people were saying, oh, look, there goes Nick with his like medical anxieties all over again, <laughs> using that as a way to sort of discredit the, the reasons behind what I was doing. I was doing it out of fear or something like that. When really in a lot of those situations, I really believed it was just the kind and wise thing to do. And it wasn't motivated by fear uh, for me, but again, by bringing that aspect of myself out to the light, I suddenly gave people something that they could use <laughs> Uh, to discredit me. And I think that's the fear that we have a lot of times. We don't want to fully expose things because you kind of, you lose control. You lose control of the narrative. Like I said, I've seen this in churches a lot. I want to specifically focus in these examples with churches on uh, like finances, because this is something where I see a lot of light and darkness with a lot of the ways that we do church. Uh, there were some churches that I was once connected with that specifically did not want to let the congregation know how much money they had in savings. You know, they had a huge savings account with tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they wanted to keep that a secret, keep that in the darkness. Don't bring that out to the light because they were worried if you bring that out to the light, people are going to quit giving. People are going to quit tithing because they're just going to be like, oh, they got plenty of money. They're fine. We, they don't need our money. And so they would keep this, this uh, reserve fund that they had in the darkness as a way to kind of control the narrative and get people to, to give more. I think that's a problem. The second thing, the reason we don't like to bring things out into the light is just because we lose um, our image uh, I showed Noah this week a funny TikTok that I found, um, and <laughs> I'm going to play it for you guys and see if you can relate to this idea a little bit. <laughs> the reality is that we have this image that we like to portray to people around us. And sometimes, like in that video, we have a specific image for the specific people in our lives. We know the things they like, the things they don't like, and we, we only let them see the specific sides of us that would most connect with them, that would most connect with that other person and most have them like us. We create these images that we show to people. And to really fully bring things out into the light, you're gonna break that spell. You're gonna lose that image that you have created for other people. Maybe you like to think of yourself as a, you, you like for people to think of you you as like a confident person who always has their uh, stuff together. And so because of that, you don't want people to, to, to look at you and to be like, oh, wow, um, 
if they only knew what was actually inside, they would realize how insecure I am and how I, I, I never know what I'm doing. I'm always just flying by the seat of my pants, but no, I got to keep the image up. I gotta, I gotta make it seem like I'm confident. Like I know what I've got together. Like I, like I am in charge of things. Maybe you want people to think that you are smart and that you're intelligent and that you uh, have really researched and thought through a lot of topics and that you're somebody that they can trust for their intelligence. But if they were to actually get to know the real you, they would come out into the light the fact that um, you constantly feel like other people are smarter than you. You constantly remember that you used to struggle with school or with the things that you were doing and that you just can't, uh, you feel like you can't keep up with what people expect of you. And so you have to put on this image of, uh, of being an intelligent person, put together person, whatever it might be. There's a million images that we have for people. And the reality is that you can only keep those images up by keeping a little portion back. <laughs> because if we all were truly honest about everything about ourselves, we would uh, realize that those images are not true. <laughs> and the light would expose that. Now, again, I've seen this uh, in churches a lot for that same sort of reason, um, with finances specifically. Uh, churches uh, I know of that will spend tons and tons of money on like landscaping and on uh, specific details inside of the church building and all of this kind of money because they want to keep up the appearances of being a very successful church. When really, if you go behind the scenes, if you look at the finances, if you look at where the money is being spent, you realize they're like not paying the pastor hardly anything at all. They're not paying uh, for uh, utilities. Maybe they're behind on certain things, but you got to keep the image up. You got to seem successful. You got to keep the building looking nice. You got to keep the, uh, the the aesthetics up to what they need to be. And and, and they don't even question it. It just makes sense to them. You know, it's a gospel issue for a lot of these people. You got to keep it looking good because for the kingdom. But again, when you bring it out to the light, all those images end up crumbling. And the last thing I'll focus on is just the, we lose the, the easy way. It is actually a lot easier to just keep things hidden. Um, if you, uh, <laughs> have a super messy room, you know, if your, your room is, your house is super messy, everything's really, really messy. One of the easiest ways to get rid of that is just turn out the lights and don't look at it. <laughs> if you just turn out the lights, it's really easy. Solved. Solved the problem. The mess went away. <laughs> and unfortunately, this is the way a lot of us deal with all of the messes in our lives. We just push them off into a dark corner, <laughs> out of the light. If you don't shine a light on, if you don't see it, then that mess doesn't exist. Because the real work, when you turn the lights back on and you see how messy things are, that's when the real work begins. And you've got to actually get in there, start doing the work, start cleaning up the mess that is now suddenly visible in the light. It becomes a lot harder. The example I saw of this uh, in church finances was the church that I was uh, connected with that um, didn't want to publish the amount of money that different staff members got paid, which is actually a pretty common thing in the business world in the U.S. You know, you don't talk about how much you make with other people. But um, one of the reasons you people don't want you to talk about how much you make with other people is because it becomes easier for you to then offer less money to this person to do the same job than what you used to offer that person. If it's all public, if it's all out in the light, and this 
the church hires a new worship minister and they know exactly how much the previous worship minister used to make, suddenly, if you want to pay them less, you have to actually explain to them why they're not going to get paid as much as the previous person. And again, I, I, I've talked to a lot of these churches. Lots of times they have good reasons. They're not bad people. You know, maybe it's just that like the first worship leader was really skilled, really talented, uh, had a family that all played instruments as well. And so they could all have like a full band and it was, it just kind of made sense. This new person, somebody who's going to still take a little bit of training, they're still not really quite there yet. And so, um, it just didn't make sense to them to just kind of keep both on the same level. But if you just don't know how much they make, you don't have to have that awkward conversation. It's easy. You don't have to do it the hard way. But unfortunately, I think that that is when feelings can really get hurt. Because this is this is the thing I want us to really, really understand. Nothing that is in the dark stays in the dark. This is actually one of the promises that God gives us. Everything is going to come out into the light. And so my encouragement for us is let's get out ahead of it. <laughs> Let's just do it right now. <laughs> Let's put things out into the light. Let's be children of the light, as Jesus said. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But I think that Jesus can help us through it. So I pulled just a couple more of these verses out here to address this. So let's go with the first point again. We lose control. If you, lo you lose control of the narrative. Let's look at what Jesus says here in John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We are scared of losing control ourselves, but I don't really think that's something we got to be worried about. Jesus is the one that's in control. He is the light. The darkness cannot overcome the light. I don't care how deep and dark that darkness is. If you just pull your iPhone out and turn on a flashlight, that flashlight is going to illuminate the darkness. There's not going to be a world where the darkness chokes out that light. The light is always more powerful than the darkness. And I think this is the thing that really can help us let go of that control that we feel like we need over the narratives a little bit. Understand God's the one that's in control. He has promised to protect you. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Things can look difficult. Things will look difficult, but the darkness does not overcome the light. The second thing is um, we... Uh, lose our image, you know, these images that we have in front of other people, that we put in front of other people. John 3, 19 through 20 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But then look here what First uh, John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The reason we don't have to be worried about the negative aspects of our personality getting out is because Jesus has covered those over already. <laughs> he has forgiven you everything that you were ashamed of in your past, everything that you were ashamed of doing that you don't want to tell other people about because uh, you're embarrassed about it, because you're ashamed about it has no power over you. You've been forgiven of it already. Jesus has taken the consequences of that and removed them from your case. You um, don't have to be worried in this image maintenance way anymore because Jesus saw you 
He saw past your image. He saw who you actually were. He saw the sinners that all of us actually were, the ways that so many of us are messed up. And it was in that place he saw past our image, and that is when he came and he atoned for those shortcomings and those sins with his blood. And the final point is, again, that we lose the easy way. I think of Jesus talking about the, the wide way and the narrow way, you know, the narrow way that leads to life. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's narrow. Not a lot of people find it. Look what John says here. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The reality is that I don't actually think we lose the easy way. <laughs> the the easiest way is the way of Jesus. Jesus himself said that. My yoke, take my yoke upon you. It's, it's easy. My burden is light, is what Jesus said. The way of Jesus is the way that we were meant to live. The way that leads to life is what it says specifically. We'll have the light of life. And this is ultimately what Jesus has called us to. Now... I want to kind of practice what I preach a little bit here to finish up today by uh, being fully transparent and honest with you guys about a, whole, a, a, a few different things. Um, I told you guys a little bit that I would spend um, a little bit of this time during the sermon telling you kind of what happened over the last couple months, uh, why I wasn't here, you know, why was I gone for a couple months. Um, and I think it's helpful because we kind of just sprung it on you guys like, some of you may not have even been there at the Sunday when I announced, hey, I'm going to be gone for two months. And then I just wasn't here for two months. And so uh, it was hard to explain a lot of that. And as I was thinking through how I wanted to explain what I've been doing over the last couple of months, I, I found myself being tempted to do a lot of these things, to do some kind of image protection, to do some kind of, um, you know, craft the narrative <laughs> just right to explain to you guys. But I, I really want to kind of be fully honest. And I used all these examples of finances because that's kind of the focus of what a lot of this was about. So I don't think I've ever told you guys a little bit about how Wayfarers got started. The original uh, kind of financial thing that started Wayfarers because it was this idea that I had had for years. I'd been working on this idea for years but um, it was hard to kind of take that very first step. And the thing that happened is that there was a church in Jackson, Tennessee. It's called First Christian Church of Jackson that ended up closing down. They merged with another church. They were kind of struggling. They ended up closing down. They sold their building. And um, they took the sale, the money from the sale of their building. They split it up three ways. And they gave it to a few different ministries. And I had given them a little bit of a pitch of what I wanted to do with Wayfarers specifically. And so they took a third of the money from that sale of that building, which was $100,000, and they donated it to us to start Wayfarers. The difficult part was that that $100,000, you would think that's a lot of money, you know? And it's hard to, uh, like I said, it's hard. To, I'm trying to practice what I preach. It's hard to be honest about <laughs> the fact that to get us started, somebody just gave us $100,000 to kind of get things going. And I would love to say that we were faithful and good with that money that came up. But to be honest, as I've looked back on my life, I'm not sure that we used that the best way that we could have. The fact is that that money actually ran out before we even had the first service of Wayfarers. 
Uh, I ended up using most of that money to pay myself a, a pretty decent salary, to pay another friend of mine a pretty decent salary to kind of get some of the stuff going. We bought some like of the equipment that we use, you know, for the different things that we do, some cameras and stuff for the offices and some of this furniture and stuff that you see around here. And we spend it a lot of different ways, but it was gone before the church even had its first service. I am thankful for that in a way, because what that did is that was around the time when Adrian uh, uh, got pregnant and with Toby. At the time, we didn't have health insurance, and a lot of our money ended up going to medical bills to uh, help Toby to be here. Um, but uh, I've mentioned to you guys that I was really, really struggling with issues of anxiety. I was at that period of time, actually, I was going through like some pretty intense mental anguish, kind of daily, almost mental breakdowns, lots of various different issues. And what that gave me was this ability to just have a, a steady income for a, a time so that I could uh, basically go to therapy. And that's what I started doing. I went to therapy for a little bit and I was able to kind of work through some of my issues. And I just did a lot of intense Bible study and a lot of time just really trying to work through my own issues. And so that ended up being really helpful for me because I'm in a better place now. I, I really don't think I could have, I could be doing what I'm doing now <laughs> if I hadn't had that period of time to kind of work on myself then. But to be completely honest, I have always felt guilty about how huge a sum of money that was and how there was very little to show for it <laughs> by the end of the time that that money came around. And so that money ended and I uh, wanted to do a little bit of more fundraising because we had finally had our first service. I felt like there was some potential. We wanted to bring a little bit more money in. So we sent out this letter to a whole bunch of people trying to ask them to donate to the church. But again, I just felt so guilty asking people for more money. We had just gotten this huge sum of money that we had just kind of wasted. So I didn't really push that hard. We did a little bit of asking people, but I just really did not push that hard to uh, get even more money in. Instead, what we ended up doing is Noah and I, at the time, started trying to find like churches in town that we could work with um, in helping them kind of get their tech stuff figured out a little bit. We're both nerdy guys when it comes to tech stuff. And so we were just like, let's focus, let's see what we can do about that. Let's get them to pay us to maybe run their live streams. COVID was kind of in full swing and a lot of people were wanting to live stream their services. And so we ended up using that as kind of income for the church to cover uh, a little bit here and there. And like I said, the church services had started already at that point and people from the church had started to donate uh, to tithe to give their offerings uh, to help us get going. Um, but the reality was that that was never going to be enough to, uh, to really pay for what we wanted to do. Um, the, <laughs> the shift in what we were getting paid from that first year <laughs> to after that money ran out uh, is, is a, has been a, you know, a huge step down in the amount. And we tried to make it work as best as we could, but finally, again, about a couple months ago, Noah and I were talking, and I had been talking a little bit about, I feel like I need to give it another shot, ask people for some more uh, money now, and have a little bit more to show for it and see what we can do fundraising. And so Noah very graciously was like, hey, look, you just got to give this a shot. You got to try it. So um, 
why don't I just take over everything for like two months, let you go out, do some trips, travel around to some people, ask some people, try to find some money and, um, and see what we can make happen of that. And in theory, that's really great. Unfortunately, again, to be completely honest with you guys, it really hit me. I did not do everything that I could have during these two months to really try to ask, you know, knock on every door, ask every person, really ask all of the people that I could have about getting the the money in that we needed. Um, The crazy thing was when I thought back and looked at the last couple months, I don't think I actually directly asked, I don't even think a single person (laughs) specifically for money to help the church during that two months. I had a lot of meetings. I met, uh, you know, some people at other churches. I met some people that work with different organizations. I told them what I was in the process of doing, of trying to find some money. But the reality was that I still did not feel like I was at a place where I could really ask people uh, to give, to help with what we were doing here. And this is where I specifically feel really, really bad because a few of you along the last couple of months have been, had been asking me, how's the fundraising going? How are things going with the fundraising? And I gave y'all some answers that I realized, I didn't even realize I was doing it in the moment, but they were just basically lies where I was just like, here's all the reasons that people aren't giving. But the reality is none, nobody said any of those to me directly. Like that was not, uh, the, the every, all the reasons that I gave you guys as to why I thought people weren't necessarily giving were really just more my intuitions about what some people might say. The reasons I did not want to specifically ask them for money. Um, I always, I felt conscious, self-conscious about the fact that like, Hey, this is, um, uh, like a small congregation. A lot of people don't want to give, well, like, why should I give money? You guys already got all this money and look what you didn't do anything with it. Why should I give money to just such a small group of people? And I told some of you that that was maybe the reason people weren't giving, but again, nobody directly said that to me. That was just my, (laughs) uh, impression, my reason, maybe my fears as to why I didn't want to specifically ask them about any of it. Um, but also part of it was just, I, I'm always overly optimistic about what I'm going to be able to do (laughs) in a stretch of time. And the more that I was looking at it and the more I was looking at the reality of things, the more I was realizing, I was like, it's going to take some time to build relationships with these people before I can really just ask them (laughs) for money to help with what we are doing. At least that's my perception. I may be wrong about that. And I just didn't feel like I had the time to, uh, to really build those relationships and really build all the way up to those final asks to help them, to ask them to help us with what was going on here. And so about a month and a half in or something like that, I kind of pivoted a little bit on what I was doing. Instead of directly asking for money, I started having some conversations with uh, my dad. Um, my dad's the president here at Mid-South Christian College. And I already work a little bit for the school. I teach a few uh, classes. Um, and in, again, I told you me and Noah are tech nerds. So I did a little it stuff for the school. Um, but I started having some conversations with my dad about like, Hey, what can we do to, um, maybe give me some kind of more full-time income, (laughs) uh, to make things happen. And a lot of doors opened that way. And so that's what I ended up kind of spending the last month of my time doing was just really working together with my dad, talking to the board of the college, doing some negotiating on salaries and different things like that. And I'm thankful that, um, at least as of 
last week they did uh, go ahead and approve a specific job that I'm going to be doing for the school that's going to cover my income, which is great. And so it's a weird thing because Noah was like, take these two months, try to see if you can find a way to cover your income. So I did that, <laughs> but not in the way that I uh, expected to and not in the way that I told many of you that I was going to do that. And I personally, I do just, I feel guilty about that. I feel bad about that. But in the long run, as I've looked back, you know, God has this way of working through even our weaknesses. Like I uh, had said before, he's, he, he understands those aspects about me and those uh, fears that I might have had in those situations that I might have been in. And I think he's really worked it out. It's ended up being like a really, really cool uh, thing that we've worked out with the school. It's still going to give me time to do church stuff, so don't worry about that. I'm not, this isn't like my resignation <laughs> speech <laughs> or anything like that. Um, I, I'm still going to be around, still going to be able to do uh, what we want to do for the church. And uh, I am thankful that, uh, at least financially, I'm going to be covered as f- with m- what I need for my family uh, through that job that I'm going to be doing with the school. And I'll still have the freedom on Sunday nights to be able to come and hang out with y'all and hang out with y'all during the week and work with Noah and, and Joe and Reagan and all of y'all on uh, organizing the things that we want to do here at this at the church. And again, just not, it's sort of the, I, I, in church circles, you may have heard the term tent making, which is something Paul used to do. Paul used to make tents on the side so that he didn't have to be a burden to the churches that he was uh, connected with. And uh, ultimately, I uh, feel like I've managed to work out a sort of situation of that. I'm not tent making. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm education making. (laughs) I've been able to work out um, this thing on the side so that I think we'll be able to really kind of be freed up to do what some of the ideas that we have to do are here with the church. won't have to have that burden of trying to figure out how are we going to provide a salary for a guy with his wife and his son and the other kid on the way and a lot of other things um, that we have going on. So again, I really think the Lord provided despite my shortcomings, despite my weaknesses and not in the way I expected, (laughs) but I don't want to be this person who kind of hides that from you guys. You know, I want to, I want to let y'all know the, the full details of kind of exactly what was going on. Um, because ultimately, like I said, I really do want Wayfarers to be a place that, that really practices this idea of living in the light. Um, one of our core values that we have is trust. And this is one of the values that I think have eroded away a lot with a lot of people in church. This is why I'm so frustrated about these dark corners that so many of us have, whether it's with our finances or so many other things. When those dark things come to the light, a lot of people lose trust in the people that were supposedly in charge. We've seen that over and over and over again. All of these pastors, all of these famous people that have kind of had their falls from grace as the things in the darkness come to the light. The scriptures say that that sin loves darkness. I've been thinking of this idea of sin as like a like a mold. You know, mold only grows sometimes in the darkness. The way you get rid of mold is you let the sunshine in, <laughs> let the light in. And I, I really believe that 
if I'm going to be asking any of you all to trust me, I want to be transparent with you in all of those ways about everything that's going on. And I uh, want us to, to, to live that out, to be a church that lives fully out in the light. And I would hope that that would give more reasons for you all to know that you can trust us. So if you have any more specific questions about that time, I can let you guys know kind of what went on. But I just wanted to be uh, transparent in that way and uh, explain <laughs> why I've been gone for two months <laughs> and kind of what happened during that time. The sort of unexpected benefit of that time, uh, when I had the conversation with Noah, I told him all of what I told you guys and just apologized for not being, because I know he worked really hard during those two months. Like Noah was like, doing a lot. He was doing everything. Uh, and, uh, and I felt bad about not stewarding that better, you know, but, um, Noah showed me a lot of grace. I could really see Jesus in him in that moment because he was just like, Hey man, I didn't really care what you were going to do during these two months. He was like, I'm not, I didn't, he's like, honestly, I didn't really expect you to be successful. <laughs> he was like, I wasn't, not, I wasn't necessarily expecting you to come back with a big bag of money. And he said, for me, it was just something that I wanted to do for you. Um, to give you a, a break, really, just a little period of rest. I had a, uh, I got coffee last week with Smith uh, Hopkins, who's the pastor at Oikos Church, and um, he was asking me that. He said, so you kind of got started in the middle of COVID. Have you had a chance to rest at all? Or have you just been going nonstop during COVID and everything? And I <laughs> was able to tell him, uh, I have last two months. <laughs> it's the first time I finally got an opportunity to rest and not have to think about it. And I really think it was helpful. And uh, so I'm very thankful for that. So it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I intended. But again, God has this way of working even despite our weaknesses. And I'm very thankful. I feel well rested. I feel like I'm ready to come back and hit it again now with renewed energy and less anxiety, less financial anxiety <laughs> for me specifically, just because I have my needs provided for otherwise. Um, and I really am excited about where we could end up in the future with what we're doing. Um, but it all starts with just living it, living life out in the light. So let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to try to uh, manipulate things, to try to only be strategic about the things that we want to tell each other and the things that we want to reveal to each other and how honest we may want to be. And um, I do it on reflex, unknowingly, all the time. I ask, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would uh, continue to reveal those things to me, continue to reveal the ways that I'm doing that. Help me to be a child of the light, somebody who really is open and honest and completely transparent in the way that I live. And I ask, Lord, that you would help uh, this community, help us to feel comfortable um, doing that. Help us to feel like we can... Um, be safe out in the light 
being out and exposed is one of the uh, most difficult things for us. But help us to trust that you are the source of light. You are light and you there is no darkness. You are powerful over the darkness. You make the darkness tremble. So ultimately we have nothing to fear by living our lives in the light. Help us to be attracted to that, to see the life that you offer in the light. and Help that to be the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember one point I skipped in my sermon, and this is very important, so I want to I end with this because this is a very important point. <laughs> Too late now. But wait, there's more. Um, there's a difference to me between the right to privacy and the uh, ability of living out in the light. I think sometimes people can take what I may have said today as an excuse to be able to gossip or just like say things about other people that they know. I've seen this in church a lot. People are like, I'm just saying the truth. What's the big deal? They start talking about something this other person is doing and they're just, and you try to tell them, hey man, don't gossip, don't talk about that. And they're like, why? I'm not lying. It's just the truth. We live in the light. Why shouldn't we tell about it? But the reality is, yeah, let's pray about it. It's a prayer request we're, we're <laughs> directing to you. I, I, I firmly believe that that God does not want us to force other people into the light. Uh, it is up to that person to decide when they want to bring the, the aspects of themselves in, that, are, that other people haven't seen yet out. It is not your job to push other people <laughs> into the light. They have a right to do that on their own terms. And uh, specifically, I don't want to shame anybody for not feeling like they can be completely transparent yet. Maybe they're not in a place where they feel like you can trust you yet or where I can really fully expose everything that is going on in my life. I want to encourage you. That's the best way to live. It, any fears that you may have, I promise you they're unfounded. God is the source of light. He wants you to live in the light, but it's not our responsibility to expose other people. It's not our job to shine the light on other people. This is kind of a problem I have with a lot of, there's a, I see on like YouTube and stuff, these like heresy hunter type people, they call them, where they're just like always trying to find all these ways that people are messing up and always trying to expose people and always trying to, um, to, to, to like publicly have everything publicly available. I'm not advocating for a world where you have no privacy and you have no choice over <laughs> what you show and don't show to people. I want you to have that choice, but I want you to make the choice <laughs> to show it to other people. So... It's a, it's a nuanced thing, but I, I still think you should have your right to privacy. I'm just encouraging you to make the choice to kind of do the same thing as Jesus did. Take these things that are your right and willfully, willingly give them away. But it's only something you can do. Other people can't do it for you, and you shouldn't force other people to do it either. I think that's really important. So that's actually my last point. <laughs>